What's up, everybody? How we doing? Over here? We okay? You guys look scared. How about over here? All right, noticeably, noticeably better than over here. It's good. We tried again. All right, how we doing over here? All right, we're all done. That felt fake. Uh, that didn't feel real to me, sir, in the white hoodie in the front row. Hey, my name is Corey, and it's really nice to meet you guys. What are your names? Cool. I'm not going to remember all those names, but what I'm most interested in is where are you from? Like this general area, where are you guys from? Marin. Clovis. Marin? North. Got it. I'm from Southern California, so you get north of like Fresno, I'm totally lost. Uh, what about over here? Where are you guys from? Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, okay. I do know of Santa Barbara. That's a cool spot. What about over here? Modesto? Did you say Modesto? I'm so glad you're here. Way to go. You're good. It's safe. You're good. What about here? Morro Bay? Man, what about, what about over here? Did someone say East Bakersfield? Welcome. I too once hailed from East Bakersfield. Uh, Fairfax and College. I worked out there for like six years. But I heard another one. What's the other one? You're yelling at me. I can't hear. I don't understand. Hey, uh, like I said, my name's Corey. I have just this super awesome privilege of getting to open God's word with you this weekend. And I want to say this up front. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know why you're here. Like in a, in a room this size, there's a couple reasons why you're here. One, you're super involved at youth group. Camp is a thing that you've looked forward to since last year. You wouldn't miss it for the world. You're coming to camp, right? There's some of you here who would fit that description. There are others of you who maybe you've been kind of attending this church or you have a friend that does and you heard about camp and it sounded like an awesome kind of break from the normal routine of life and you reluctantly signed up. I'm so glad you're here. The third group is someone whose mom or dad said, you're going and I don't want to hear anything else about it. And even now as I'm talking, you're sitting there like this. You just don't want to be here. To that person, I say, I'm also so glad you're here. Here's the, here's the truth. Here's the reality about camp. Camp is this incredible place that's designed for you as a high school student to come and have no expectations on you except getting to just simply be a high school student. There's no pressure. There's, there's no, there's no uh, outside agenda. Like Hume has put on this incredible program for you to come and for you to simply just get to be yourself. I sat where you're sitting. To be clear, there's uh, someone with a blue beanie back there. Everyone's looking at you, blue beanie. Uh, hi. I was sitting right there in July of 2005 when I met Jesus for the first time. And from that moment until today, my life has not looked the same because I participated in camp. God got a hold of my life, and since then my life has found a purpose 
beyond what I ever had for myself in high school. My life has found meaning beyond what I ever could have applied myself to outside of coming into a relationship with Jesus. And to be honest, that's what I'm praying for this weekend. If you're that student who's super involved in church, and as I share these churchy words, you go, amen, brother, I'm with you. I want to just say this weekend's going to be such a refreshment for you. And if you're sitting in your seat right now and you're already kind of lost because the songs didn't make sense and the video, you're not really sure, I I just want to say if you'll drop your guard and you'll be honest about where you're coming at this weekend, this weekend could change your life because we're going to be talking about a God who's constantly transforming things more and more into what his intended purpose is. It's a beautiful thing. And so I just want to call my shot up front and say that's what we're in for. I also want to introduce you to my family if that's okay. Okay, we're skipping the family. Uh, oh, the picture was up there. That's my family. Been married for almost 16 years to my lovely wife, Katie. And then I got four kids. The tall one's Mason. The one next to him is Marley. The blue flannel kid is Max. And then the little one in red is Maylee. And uh, that's my family. They couldn't be here with me this weekend, but I want to at least introduce you and like, kind of share my credentials. I am not just a stranger that they found down in Fresno. I have a family, at least. And then I also wanted to show with you, because I thought you might like this more than the picture of my family, I wanted to share um, my best friend and then uh, someone I put up with. Is there another picture? No? Down. No picture of dogs? Darn. I had a cool picture of my dogs. I have two French bulldogs. Uh, Their names are Chance and Ozzy, and... They eat, sleep, and fart all day long. That's like all they know how to do. That's it. Um, that's what they do. Uh, as, uh, as Harrison talked to us about a minute ago, we've got a theme that we're going to be jumping into. And you got to see that theme kind of play out in the video with the talk show host and the Elon Musk type character who's kind of teasing at and asking these bigger questions that each of us as humans ask as we lay our head on the pillow. What is the meaning of life? What am I here for? But really, all of this comes out of this amazing book that's found after the book of Psalms and Proverbs in your Bible. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to this book called Ecclesiastes. And as you turn there, I have a question. Have any of you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes before? Raise your hand. If you've ever read this book, I want you to raise your hand. All right. And if you've never read this book, raise your hand. Okay. This book is uh, from a part of the Bible known as wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature includes the Psalms, the Proverbs, and also Ecclesiastes. And the purpose of the wisdom literature is to share wisdom with the reader. And so this weekend, we're going to be talking a lot about wisdom and the place that it should have in our lives. And I realize that that may go over some of your heads, but I want you to understand that if you've ever asked this question of yourself before, who am I? If you've ever asked this question of yourself before, what am I here for? And thirdly, if you've ever asked this question of yourself, where do I go when I die? That's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. And these questions are known as like basic human questions, and the book of Ecclesiastes answers these, among other things. So we're going to read uh, the first 11 verses in Ecclesiastes 1, but one more time, I wanted to just pray with you guys as we jump into it. Is that okay? Yeah? We hanging in there? We good? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this weekend at camp, and as we kick it off, God, we lay it before you. I pray for any students, any counselors, any youth pastors, any Hume staff, anyone who can hear my voice right now, God, if they're tired, if they're weary, if they're struggling with fear, with uncertainty, with doubts, 
God, maybe there's sin in their life that they haven't confessed and it's just weighing them down. Lord, would this be a weekend where freedom is found, where healing is experienced, and where we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We love you so much, God. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Awesome. So Ecclesiastes chapter one, here we go. It goes like this. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You ever start a book and you read the first sentence and you're like, I'm either in or I'm out? Have you done that before? Yeah. I love how this book starts. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. He'll go on to say, what do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. No eye has had enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow him. What a sad, like, down way to start a book. Like, what, a, what an awful reality that, that Solomon, who, who many believe penned this book of the Bible, what an awful reality that he places for us. But in order for you to understand what these words mean, you got to know a little bit uh, about who wrote it, okay? So King Solomon, have you ever heard of King Solomon before? It's okay if you haven't. King Solomon was David's son. If you've been around church, there's this famous story of King David where he sees a woman bathing on a roof and he says, come here. And this woman was married to someone else. King David impregnates her, has her husband killed and then raises this baby. The baby's name was Solomon. If I have your attention, if I didn't have your attention, I hope I do after that brief uh, introduction to King David's life, you're like, did we just, yeah, yep, we talked about it, okay? So the baby's name is Solomon. Solomon will grow up and he'll be the heir to his dad's throne. Solomon had, uh, it, it would be safe to say that Solomon had an incredibly privileged upbringing. He grew up in a palace. His dad was a king. He then succeeds his dad, and he reigned Israel for 40 years. He was king of Israel. During his reign of Israel, pay, pay attention, this is going to blow your minds, he amassed a wealth as the king so large that Israel quickly became the most wealthy nation on earth. His own personal wealth is estimated to be 2.1 trillion dollars. Trillionaire. Two trillies in his pocket. That's what King Solomon has. But it gets better because not only did he bring gold and silver from all over the world and make Israel just this incredibly rich country, establishes their power. Kings and queens from out of town come to figure out how he's done this, what's going on. Keep in mind, $2.1 trillion. King Solomon also had 300 wives. 
300 wives, and that's not all, 700 concubines. Dude had a thousand women that were a part of his life. He had, he had dozens upon dozens of children as a result of this. He, here's, here's the reality of King Solomon. He had all the money that you could want. He had all the power that you could want. He had every form of love that a person could ever desire. King Solomon had everything beyond your wildest imagination. He had it all. Like when I was a kid, there was this movie that came out called Blank Check. Have you ever heard of the movie Blank Check? I'm dating myself here. I'm a Sprite, 37 years old. And so when I was a kid, the Disney Channel had the most epic movies on TV. One of them was Blank Check. The plot of Blank Check, well, it's in the title. Someone gets a blank check. All right, you tracking with me? And this kid gets this blank check and he goes to the bank and cashes it and he spends a million dollars on this incredible house with all of this lavish technology, with a water slide in the backyard. It had an ice cream sundae bar. I mean, the movie is literally a kid who's given a blank check. He fills it out for a million dollars and he does exactly what you think a kid would do with a million dollars. The sad reality of that movie is that nowadays, a million dollars like, won't even buy you a condo. Right? So like, they would have to redo that movie in such a way where there's like more zeros on the check. You know what I'm saying? It would be like, like when I was a kid, a millionaire was crazy. Nowadays, like a billionaire is crazy. King Solomon has both of those beat thousands of times over trillionaire. Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? I'm sharing this with you because the person who had a thousand women that he was in a relationship had $2.1 trillion. He had orchards so big and so vast that the little lakes that he would use to water his plants still exist today in Israel. They're known as Solomon's pools. That guy writes meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. When you think about your future, and the impact that you'd like to have on this earth, the type of life that you'd like to have and just the next season of life for you as a high school student, it's just around the corner. Like if you're a senior, we're talking weeks, if not just a few shy months, and life looks completely different than it does today. If you're a freshman, it's gonna fly by, okay? When you think about the next season of your life, what do you envision for yourself? Do you envision a job that provides you money, uh, opportunities for you to be successful, relationships for you to understand love? Maybe you want to start a family, right? Like what Solomon is saying is, I tried all these things, and the feeling that it left me with was that everything is meaningless. That purpose could not be found in any of these things. I find it fascinating because even at 37, been married, I'll be married 16 years in less than a month, I have four children, there's still something in my own heart that feels like there's more to do, there's things that I have yet to accomplish and, and do in this life. Like there's never enough money. There's, there's never enough accomplishment, there's never enough achievement. And what Solomon begins to write to people should blow our minds when we realize this is like top six literal richest people to ever exist. And he goes, 
It wasn't all it was chopped up to be. Like, like to me, it's kind of how I feel about raising canes. <laughs> Literally, it's how I feel about raising canes. I just had to make sure you're awake. I mean, I'm pretty confident there's like two kinds of chicken people in this world. There's, there's those of us who are sensible and love Jesus with all our hearts, and we go to Chick-fil-A, and we give them a break on Sunday. And then there's just a bunch of like pagan, post-Malone-loving people who go to Raising Cane's. And in my ever-so-humble opinion, I get done eating Raising Cane's. For the record, just shooting you straight, I've had it twice in my entire life. And after the second time, I pulled out my phone, I opened up the Bible app, and I read, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's worthless. Maybe if Solomon had had Chick-fil-A, this book would read completely different. He'd be like, amazing, this is amazing. My pleasure, says the teacher, is like what he would say. What am I getting at here? What's the point? The point is, there's, there's wisdom here in this book for you. And one of the things that I love about the age and stage of life that you're in as a high school student is you are on the cusp of life being completely yours. Like you can make decisions now that will screw up your life for the rest of it. You can make decisions now that will set you up well for the rest of your life. I'm not saying that you're free of life's consequences where you sit today. But the reality is when you graduate high school, you turn 18, life is yours at that point in time. And so the book of Ecclesiastes serves as this incredibly beautiful invitation for you to begin applying yourself to understanding wisdom that is beyond that little voice in your head that tells you what you think you should do and, 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 and forces you to live a life on your own terms. Solomon did that and says it's meaningless. God's word invites us into living another way, and this book that we're going to study throughout this weekend has this just beautiful opportunity for us as individuals, meaning not me talking to you, not the small group time you'll have after chapel, you as you're walking outside staring at these big trees off into the distance at these snow-capped mountains that people fly from around the world to hike, and to really ask yourself the question, what am I doing here? Because there's this, there's this reality that so many of us live in today, and it's that life has us with only just a 30-second attention span. And when we choose to live for just a 30-second attention span, just a spike in our dopamine, what we begin to do is we begin to diminish what we can get out of this life. We begin to diminish what feels good, what sounds good, what acts good, and we begin to live a life that, that compares itself to the expressed reality of other people. And so we spend time online on, on, on social media and we begin to think, why doesn't my life look that way? And the argument I'm trying to propose to you tonight is that Solomon did live life that way and he realized at the end of it, it wasn't worth it, I wasted it. And so the invitation that you have as a high school student this weekend is to just ask yourself the question, what if this is true? Like, what if, what if the goals I set for myself, what if the disciplines that I lay for myself, what if the thoughts that I choose to think, what if the bar that I put on myself ought to be much higher in light of what, what I learned at camp this weekend? How different could my life look? 
Because what this world is going to do to you, friend, is this world is going to form you into an image that, that, that you predetermine that you'd like it to be. I'd like to be successful. I'd like to be beautiful. I'd like to be popular. I'd like to be smart, rich, funny. And it doesn't happen overnight. There's not like a moment where you go, I'm choosing to be beautiful. Like imagine if I said that. It's like, dude, you got a lot of work to do. I'm going to be beautiful starting today. And someone said, but beauty's on the inside. And I would say, I, I don't think that's true. And for me, it's not on the outside either. You might say, I want to be rich. I want to be like Mr. Beast status rich. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Really struck a chord with the youth on that one, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> nailing it. Yeah, th those decisions aren't like overnight light bulb like, you, you know what it's going to be? I'm going to be so rich. You guys aren't going to believe this. I had an epiphany. You know what I'm going to do with my life? I'm going to be incredibly wealthy. No, it happens, it happens over time. It happens through where you spend your time. It happens through where you spend your effort, where you spend your energy, where you spend your money. That's ultimately the image that you're going to be formed in. And so if you're not intentional, you're going to spend your life chasing after something that he says is meaningless. It's like getting sold, uh, it's like getting sold something or, or working really hard to buy something only to be disappointed when you get it and realize this didn't bring me the joy or happiness that I thought it would. Have you ever had that before? I'll never forget, my wife and I, we came home from our honeymoon and three weeks later found out that we were pregnant. Like 10 out of 10, do not recommend that. Um, but it was exciting, we were thrilled about it. We're like, we, we wanted to have kids, we're just gonna move forward with this. Here's why I share that. Because like a few months later, as we're preparing to have the baby, we go to IHOP. You ever go to IHOP before? the International House of Pancakes. I don't fully understand where the international comes from, but they make up for it because they pretty much only have pancakes, like a lot of different kinds of pancakes. And as we get out of the car and we walk into IHOP, there's a man standing outside IHOP and he's selling puppies. Not weird, not creepy at all. It's perfectly normal <laughs> to stand outside of IHOP and sell puppies. And it wasn't just any kind of puppy he was selling. He was selling weenie dogs, right? Uh, uh, what's the proper name? Dotson? Dotson. Not like the car. I only knew them by one name, and then when I said it in front of you guys, I got a little uncomfortable. I didn't want to say it again, okay? So Dotson's weenie dogs, okay? He's selling these things outside of IHOP. Like, he's just selling them left and right. And so I'm like... This is the greatest day ever. Going to be a dad for the first time, newlywed. What do you say, babe? Let's get a dog. My wife goes, we are not getting a dog. I'm pregnant. We were living in Bakersfield at the time. It's about to be really hot. She goes, hey, um, I ain't doing like puppy potty training and that whole business ain't happening. And I go, well, let's just see how much they are. Can we just see how much the dogs are? And she rolls her eyes and goes, see how much the dogs are. So I walk up to this guy who's selling dachshunds weenie dogs. And I go, good sir, how much for these weenie dogs? And he looks at me and he goes, 20 bucks. Are you kidding me? I look at my wife and go, are you kidding me, right? Could this day get any better? 20, dogs, 20 bucks for a puppy. Like, come on now. And she goes, $20. Guarantee you there's something wrong with these dogs. 
and I'm learning as a new, I'm learning about my wife at this moment. I go, babe, don't say that so loud. Like you're, you're questioning this fine salesman integrity over the price. Like they're his dogs. He sets the limit. Like we can't, you don't get mad that something's cheap when you really want it. You get excited and you say, take my 20. Can you hold on to it? I'm done with my international pancakes. Like simmer down, you know? And my wife goes, no chance. We're not potty training a puppy while I'm pregnant and it's about to be summer in Bakersfield. And I go, fair, I hear you, but what if it's already potty trained? And she goes, those are tiny dogs. There's no way those dogs are potty trained. I go, well, let's just ask the guy. Seems trustworthy, you know? What could go wrong? So I go, good sir, are these puppies by chance, have they been crate trained? Have you begun that process with them? And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, these dogs are, they're, they're just about ready to go. You might have a couple minor accidents, but like mostly good to go. And I go, babe, as if this Friday morning could not get an ounce better, potty trained puppies in front of IHOP, $20. Like you wouldn't believe it if I told you this was gonna happen. You'd be like, there's no way, that's way too cheap for a cute puppy that's only gonna bring me joy and wanna nibble on my ears. And I'd be like, it's true, it's right here in front of IHOP. And so I gave the guy 20 bucks and we sat down uh, for breakfast and I ate those pancakes so fast, guys, you've never seen someone eat pancakes. It was like, it was my last meal on death row. (laughs) Just ate these pancakes. And they came back and said, would you like more pancakes? And I go, no, I bought a puppy. And so we paid our bill and I go outside and I pick up this puppy and it started like licking my face. And I was like, oh, this is the cutest thing ever. We get in the car and as we're driving home, I roll the window down. And the puppy's on my lap. I'm a tall guy. I'm about 6'5", so my knees come up kind of high. Yeah. I think... I think we all know... I think we all know what happened to the puppy. Uh, it might have been potty trained, but it did not know how to fly. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm kidding. You guys got so you guys got so just just ready to hear me say that dog jumped out the window. I couldn't not take advantage of that. It, the dog did not jump out of the window. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually way worse. <laughs> uh, so we're driving. <laughs> we're driving. And uh, the dog's on my knee and his little paws are out the window. And I've got like my wife, like baby's about to be born, just had pancakes, living in Bakersfield. Life doesn't get any better than this. You know what I'm saying? Life is as good as it's going to be. And just as I'm having this thought thinking, I don't think in my entire life I've had a better spent $20. This is as good as $20 will get anybody. As I'm having this thought, this warm, <laughs> awful smelling sensation starts going down my leg. And it was 2008. I was wearing cargo shorts. There's a lot of room for fluids to go when you're rocking cargo shorts. And I look down, and this pot, supposedly potty trained puppy is urinating all over my lap. Ruined my day. And so I did what any normal person would do. I just kind of, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. Uh, 
I would never do that. In fact, what I did is so much better. I sold it on Craigslist for $100 the next day. God is my witness. God is my witness. That's good. Thank you. I shared that story really for one single purpose. I love IHOP. Uh, I'm just kidding. I shared that story for one purpose, one purpose only, and hopefully you can relate to it. There's times in life where you want something so bad that it becomes the, the fixation of all of your time, effort, and energy. It could be a degree. It could be a relationship. As I say that, you could be doing this to the girl sitting next to you. That's the thing that you're like, I would do anything to be her boyfriend or at least just have her look at me. I would do anything, you know? And, and we do this as humans. We fixate on things and they become the object that we, we, we obsess over it almost. We can't think about anything but it. For me in that moment, it was this puppy. And I was sorely let down. One, because that guy was shady. That dog was not potty trained. And now I know why it was $20, right? But also because... Nothing, nothing is going to fulfill me in the way that I thought this dog was going to. Nothing was, and also way too good to be true, right? Life has a way of revealing to us the things that are way too good to be true. And I wanted to let you know that before we dive into the rest of the book, before we look at, at the story that this points us to, ultimately the story of Jesus and what he did to restore relationship with the Father on your behalf. What I want you to understand is, in order for us to begin to understand what the rest of the story is that this book holds, you have to understand that the sixth richest guy to ever exist, who had everything anyone could ever want, realized it wasn't worth it. But he says this in Ecclesiastes, it's our theme verse for the week, and he says this in, in, the, in chapter 12, verse 13. He, he does say this, as a result of calling everything else meaningless, in 12.13, he says this, Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Meaning, you've heard me for 38 times in this book, he will use this word meaningless, which in the Hebrew is this word hebel, or hevel, which means smoke, or vapor, or mist. It's kind of like the fog in the morning. Once that sun comes up, it's gone. You can't grab it. You can't really feel it. You just kind of know that it's there. That's what this word meaningless means. And it's used 38 times in 12 chapters. Obviously, the message for us is don't waste your time chasing after things that are meaningless, that are vapor, smoke, mist, that disappear when things get hard, that won't give you any worth or value, that aren't going to help you understand purpose and meaning. And he ends the book saying, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. That's your theme verse for the weekend. The theme verse that you have for this weekend is, is, is one that points us to what actually will give us meaning and purpose and fulfillment. He says, the guy who had everything, he says, hey, the only thing that I've been able to find in this life that made me feel meaning and purpose is to fear God, which means to know him which means to revere him, which means to have awe for God. God's not just a word I put in front of a bad word. God's not the universe. God's not this energy. God's not my truth. We're all not gods. No, there is a God whose story has been plainly recorded in the 66 books of the Bible, written by 40 different authors on three different continents over a 1500 period year of time. And that's all telling one consistent story about a God who loves you so much that he would do anything to restore a relationship with you. 
It tells us a story about a God who says, hey, the purpose of faith isn't just praying a prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die. The purpose of faith is experiencing heaven right here and now because you have your priorities straight, because you've applied your life to the only place that it can find meaning and purpose, and that's in a relationship with the God that this book tells us about. That's what Solomon's trying to convey. And if you don't know about this God, if you've never heard of this God, if this God is just someone that your parents talk about, if this God is just someone that maybe you go to youth group and you hear them talk about, I want you to understand this about the God that I'm speaking of, the God that Solomon references. He's for you. 1 John 4.8 tells us that he is love. John 3.16 tells us that he loved the world so much that he provided a way for you to know him. Like all throughout the pages of scripture, we learn that the character of this God is that of someone who loves you who desires you. There's this passage I'll, I'll dive into quickly for you. It's found in the book of Isaiah, just really like the next book over from Ecclesiastes. And really briefly, I'll tell you that, that Isaiah was a prophet, which meant he spoke to God's people on behalf of God. And Isaiah has this moment that to me, when I talk about God to other people, like when I'm, when I'm gonna tell someone about God, I have to go to Isaiah 6 because it paints a picture of who God really is. And so Isaiah has begun his ministry as a prophet, and he has this moment where he sees God. Isaiah 6, it'll be on the screen, and I just want to briefly point you to the single most important aspect of who God is. The thing that made Solomon, the one we've been talking about this whole time, understand that everything else in life is meaningless. It's going to come right here. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah has an encounter with the same God that Solomon is talking about. And he's ushered into this temple, a chapel, not unlike this. And in this chapel is this huge throne that fills the room. And high and exalted on that throne is God. And God's wearing a robe, and the train of his robe fills the entire temple. This is a big God sitting on a big throne. And as this is happening, Isaiah sees these angelic creatures flying around singing a worship song, kind of how we did a few minutes ago. And the worship song that these angelic creatures are singing is this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These creatures, while sitting in the very presence of God, sing a song that tells us the single most important attribute of God's character, and it's this. He's holy, holy, holy. Friend, if, if you're going to understand where Solomon's perspective of everything is meaningless comes from, you have to understand that in comparison to a holy, holy, holy God, nothing stands up. 
This term holy means set apart, nothing and no one like it. You've got to understand this about God. When we talk about God here at camp this weekend, when you read about him in scripture, when you sing songs to him during worship, when you're asked challenging questions about him in your cabins, you have to understand that we're not talking about a God like Hercules or Zeus that was made up to appease people's innermost questions and dealings with of life. No, we're talking about the supreme creator of everything that we know and see to be reality and life as it exists today. We're talking about a God who speaks and, and at the moment of him saying these words, material exists. God says, let there be light, and there is. God forms and fashions mankind out of the dust of the earth, breathes into him his breath, and now you and I as humans exist on earth because this holy, holy, holy God has the power and the ability to do this, and nothing and no one else does. And so when Solomon says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, he's saying in comparison to the holy, holy God of heaven, nothing can compare. And guess what? I've tried it all. And so the takeaway that I want to leave you with as we wrap up our first session together is this. What have you been living for? What have you mistakenly hitched your trailer to and began pursuing in this life, thinking that it will help you to find meaning and purpose. What is that? What goals and priorities have you set for yourself that are going to take you away from understanding more about who this is because you've thought that maybe this can satisfy? You've thought that maybe these things can bring you a feeling of joy or happiness or fulfillment. I'm telling you, the sixth richest guy, $2.1 trillion, a thousand women, orchards that took up mountainsides, gold, silver. He said nothing. Nothing compares. In fact, the only fulfillment I found in this life as a king who had all the power, money, anything you can think of, the only fulfillment I found in this life was found when I began to fear God, that is to follow him, to honor him, to begin to know him, and to put God on a place in your life that nothing and no one else has. He's quite literally the God of your life. And to obey his commandments, to allow your soul to be formed by the things of God and not the things of this world which the Bible deals a lot with us avoiding the things of this world and pursuing the things of God. Solomon talks about this a thousand years before Jesus is even on the earth. He talks about this idea that following God, fearing him, and obeying his commandments, walking with him, is the only thing that got him fulfillment and purpose. So the question I have for you as we wrap up our time together tonight is this. Do you know this God? Are you in pursuit of him? Or are you pursuing things that Solomon would say are meaningless? It's a question really just meant for you to ask yourself. It's a question really just meant for you to wrestle with as you think about things and process this weekend and how it's going. What are you truly living for? And how's it making you feel? Is it making you feel like you can never quite get enough? 
You need to keep working hard to obtain more of it? Or is it making you feel settled, seen, known, understood like God will? This world has the ability to rob us of meaning and purpose. But God wants to supply that for you in a loving relationship with him that will be beyond anything you've ever experienced in this entire world. And I think we'll begin to see that as we continue to look at these passages this weekend. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. And friends, as as I pray this, I want to just invite you to examine your heart for a second. Have you been looking for meaning and purpose in places that are apart from God? Are you a follower of Jesus who's begun to look for meaning and purpose in places apart from God? Are you someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus and this is kind of the first time anyone's challenged you to think about such things? Just be thoughtful about those questions as we move through this weekend. It's not necessarily about having the right answer as much as it's about just being honest with yourself and where you're coming into this weekend with. Where are you at with God? And so, Lord, we we hand these things to you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who who quite literally provided a, a way for us to experience these things that Solomon's talking about. God, we thank you for the invitation to fear you and to follow your commandments. And God, we thank you so much for a weekend where we get to wrestle with this stuff and have just so much fun in the process at you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.